Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined by... Adam Sass. Yay! Yay! Oh my gosh, welcome to season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and season two of Slayer Fest 98. Yeah. We, uh, last time we met, we discussed all of the, um, like, just like what season one meant and Adam, you know, you were not here for it, mm-hmm. but we talked a lot about how season one was is underappreciated and easy to make fun of, but there's actually a lot that um, is really, is that there's a lot of gems in season one that people actually, like, gloss over. Yeah, like, the foundation is laid. Right, Like, a very a important foundation is laid for that. Yeah. And, and go ahead. We like, well, we, like, discuss how a lot of people will be like, oh, I skipped this, but, like, how while they're, like, plot lines that are skippable, like, it still sets up the characters so well that, like, you kind of need them. You can't appreciate season two without at least knowing the dynamic of the conflict between Buffy and Angel. And I mean, this is, like, like, kind of basics. Yeah. And also, like, I might just be making this up because I don't <laughs> play chess, but um, isn't there, like, a saying that, like, the first, the most important moves in a chess game are the first four or something like that? I something Absolutely. Like that. I like so that's kind of, like, what season one is. Like, they might seem boring, like you're just moving your pawns out of the way or something, but the first, it's the first moves of the series and they're very important. So, yeah. yeah. Um, totally. Yay for me for talking about something I know nothing about. It's just <laughs> mansplaining for everyone. <laughs> Um, um, yeah. So today we're going to talk about when she was bad, the season two premiere, but... Which I love. I love this episode so much. Yeah, I do. I have so many feelings about this episode. It's a really, like, neat trick to start season two on, because season one, like you said, was so much about, like, laying groundwork and whatnot, but I think, like, the really important first move, we're going to do the chess thing, um, <laughs> was... Uh, to set up Buffy as this very, very, very simple idea, um, almost like a bubblegum kind of show, where it's like, okay, we're going to do simple ideas, we're going to do this girl, and she's got a, you know, she's got a prophecy, and she's into this vampire boyfriend, and it's pretty just like bare bones, but it's really good bare bones. So we're kind of going into season two, if you're watching it for the first time, expecting kind of a simple thing, and then season two, like, Bang kind of pulls the rug out under you. Yeah. With this really complex, like, oh, she's not dealing with this well. Like, season well, two is, like, well, all wait, about consequences. So, before we get into the episode, even though we already did start getting it, tell us your Buffy origin story, Adam. Like how it first came into my how, life? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is, um, it came into my life the first three seasons. So, I was in high school when the first three high school seasons were happening. Um, I was probably a few years, I think I'm technically, I'm somewhere between Dawn and Buffy, age-wise. So, um, as we both have, but, um, it's, uh, it was something that I really got into, um, season two and season three, and, um, my little, I, I lived in this little Illinois town that for some reason decided they were going to stop carrying the WB after season three. Wow. So I was like, Die hard, like, one, two, three, let's see where they go in college. And then I think they gave us, like, the first episode of season, they gave us, like, the freshman, and then, like, the, the pilot of Angel, and then they were just like, all right, we're not carrying WB anymore. And I never saw it again until, like, until the show was done. That's so funny because, oh, wow, it was really? tragic. No, no, the show had completely wrapped by the oh. time, because I, I had to wait for the DVDs. Like yeah, we always, we always talked about that, how this show is, like, it's so weird to think of, like, you could have loved a show and still never seen another episode. 
because it was so easy to miss, and then if you missed it, like, fuck off. It was, like, it was <laughs> fuck off. Like, I mean, it was, like, you had to, like, record, you had to record stuff. Um, yeah, there was no DVR. So, yeah, that was, I had, a, like, a, a very, very strong, potent high school love, hmm. and, um... Then I missed out on all of, like, the thorny, wow. like, later adult years stuff, I guess. It's still so funny to talk about six and seven as adult years because they're literally, like, 21 or 20. I know. It's not 20. Like, <laughs> they can't even legally drink. <laughs> I mean, like, the last two seasons sort of, like, I mean, even season five, too. I mean, four is a college year, and then they super just punt yeah. <laughs> any sort of school identity, young identity. Like, they have her go straight to taking care of Dawn, like, almost like a yeah. daughter, almost. like right. So, I mean, yeah. it's it emotionally, like, is... And, I mean, I've been, I've been watching Angel with my boyfriend, and I always say that, like, Cordelia is immediately aged up in the first season of Angel, and she's only 18. Like, it's their freshman year of college, and she's only 18. Well, they catch up with the actress ages. Like, I mean, right. like, so, I mean, like, everybody is 25, 26, 27, so, like, it's just... They just meet up with their whatever age they actually are. Right. But I guess in terms of aging up, you mean just, like, they make them more mature. Yeah. Like, they don't actually physically change their age, but, like, in terms of maturity... Yes. Like, they are all made mm-hmm. to seem like adults as, a, as opposed to 18. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels less like a YA novel. It feels more like, a, oh, I'm just seeing, like, me deal with my shit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so... So that's that's the origins. I can't believe, I can't believe they can just take away the WB. They that's, straight up just did. That's and also went, a weird thing that only happened. <laughs> and I'm kind of mad too because that was like the Willow, uh, like yeah, comes out. Was, yeah. I, mean, I was Willow, like that would have really helped me. Like, <laughs> honestly, thanks a lot. The, the show's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but as it's like Willow becomes the star over time. So you missed the time where Willow like becomes the star missed, of the show. I missed all of that. It was almost like my little conservative town was just like, mm, we can we see some lesbian like videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can, it's the first season of college. I can see some lesbian <laughs> stuff coming a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, let's get into when she was bad. Yeah, this episode mm. is very Harry Potter Order of the Phoenix. Well, yeah. here's the thing. Um, I, like... I th- this might be getting too deep and maybe too dark. But that's but my favorite a- Harry Potter book. But so it's it's- oh, I love so shout out. I also love Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> okay. Order of the Phoenix is my favorite. Also, <laughs> yes, correct. Um, but I think Buffy is going through PTSD. Like yeah. she was yes. literally violated by the master and killed, and then like had to immediately like wake up and kill him. It's a it's a very metaphor about like this like you know man violating this woman and all. And that she's stuff. Like, and, like a child. And she's a child, <laughs> and she like dealt with a lot at once, and then she immediately had to, like, kill the man who killed her. Yeah. So, like, she's literally going through PTSD, and there's that scene where um, Buffy's dad is unpacking all the, like, stuff that she got for him, that he got for her, and um, just, like, saying that she... Terrible dad. Her terrible (laughs) dad. And he's saying that, like, you know, she was removed and distant, and she's being so flippant with her friends and stuff like that. Like, she has PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what this episode is, is her... I mean... In real life, it would take yeah. a lot longer to deal with it, but being, but you know, it's a TV show, so it's a TV show, so she deals with it in one episode. At least she doesn't, yeah. But you know, like it's, I mean, like, and she can't even talk to her mom about it, yet, right. and, yeah, which sets up the arc of the yeah. season, which is leading her to coming out, basically, in the yeah. coming. But um, yeah, it's like she can't; she's alone with this. I mean, it, it sets up really sort of what would become like a Buffy pattern, which is she's alone with this trauma. Yeah, she can have all the friends and family she wants. She can have her like Giles. But when something truly nasty happens to her, she's 100% alone with it, and 
It sets up a pattern of her friends really hold it against her when she's not awesome all the time. I really, so, I think this episode does so many things so well, which is why I love it, because not only does it not, there's a lot of shows where you feel like in a new season they don't even address last season, like they just keep going. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this show does a really, this episode does a really great job at addressing what happened in the last episode and like continuing that on. But also I think like in terms of being on the WB and like having the show blow up, over the summer, before it came back, I think this does a really good job at, like, seeming like a much more cohesive show than in season one. Like, the budget is clearly upped a little bit. Oh, yeah. I yeah. even said, like, the like the opening, the show's immediately brighter, like, literal lighting-wise. Like, yes. It's better lit immediately. Yeah, it's a better lit show. <laughs> There's a better budget. The vamps look better. Um, everything is just like, and I think also like, if remind me because I was seven. Um, <laughs> the like, podcast is over. <laughs> she, she became like, um, or I was eight. She became like <laughs> mm, more of a like. She was like a teen sensation star between between seasons yes. one and two. Yeah. So they like she gets a little bit of a makeover. Like they're embracing the like fame part of the show too. Yeah. Well, because I mean, this is like. I think season two is when, cause that, was this like 97? This is when she did, I know what she did last summer on screen too. This yeah. is when she did all the movies, yeah. right? Yeah. Which okay. also one of our listeners, Kevin, pointed out to me. Um, I said that I thought Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prinze Jr. met on the set of She's All That because it was filmed at the same high school, but they did not. She just did that cameo because I think she was like already dating him because she met him um, and I know he did last summer, which right. is also crazy that just from the first season of Buffy, she got more movies than she did, like, the rest of her career. Like, I, but, like, right? I have turned on Well, <laughs> moving right along. <laughs> well, I just mean... I just think it's crazy that she's just done. Well, I mean, it's weird that the first season being not no, the I mean, best like, of seasons that that got her all these jobs. I always thought it was, like, season three where she was on Scream and I did last summer, but no, it's... Season one. I mean, that's the other thing is like being older when the show was in yeah. its heyday. Um, you remember that this show was popular as it was, was shit on until its dying day. Like, yeah, it was right. not. It really was. It was yeah. for every and all Emmys. It was like it was completely shut out, critically, really overlooked, and so that's true. really all that Buffy like- had going for it was like oh. Like, but it was actually young. I want to push back yeah. because it was wasn't it embraced critically, but not by awards. Like people who wrote the actual reviews knew what was up. I mean, because Entertainment Weekly named season three the best show of the of that year. Yes, um, it, it was one of those like push pull things. Like we really get to see the generational shift right. of like the critiques. Like so, you had. Like these Entertainment Weekly writers, and you had Entertainment Weekly has always loved the show. Absolutely, I mean, like they flip flopped on a lot of things, but they've been very always loved Buffy. Yeah, very true. (laughs) Um, I mean, they had critics like Lisa Schwartzbaum, like and and people who were just like sort of sort of newer voices at the time of of critiques. But I mean, at that time, late nineties, it was like the HBO boom. So there was a lot well, yeah, of like Sopranos yeah. and it's like, well, well that's it's the thing. So it yet. was, it was, it was definitely, I think what I was pushing, I was saying that there were some critics who were on board, but it never, it I think about, only fans. I think about if it, had, if it had come out now, like there would be like a think piece industry behind it. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that infrastructure was not in place for a show like this to be popular. That's true. Yeah. At the time it had to be a Sopranos. I mean, even, you know, 
a lot of shows about women didn't have that kind of critical mass. I mean, even Basically. Sex and the City didn't because, you know, of The Sopranos. I mean, it was seen as, like, kind of, like, a fluffier show yeah. just because it was women's ma- mainly women. And, and there was romance in it. Yeah. Like, there anytime you add level. anyone falling in love, it's automatically, like, less critically acclaimed as opposed to if someone's killing someone. But not if it's, like, absolutely. a straight man falling in love, then it's like, oh, that's okay. Oh, absolutely. But, like, and any other love story, it's like, ugh. Like, I mean... Well, you had that plus, like, the sci-fi stuff, like, people's sci-fi baggage at the time, too. Was yeah. Incredibly stiff. Well, and, like, especially... I feel like Adam, you know, being of the age that we are, um, people who don't know us are just like, are they seven? Yeah, seventy-eight. <laughs> being people of a certain age. <laughs> um, I feel like, especially at that time, like, like Matthew said, like a show like this would do so well now if it hadn't been done already. But like, there wasn't a lot of nerd culture love going around. Because this show invented it. Like, it really kind of did. Like, well, there's a whole. I mean, there was an episode where. Um, Willow says, like, it's the computer age nerds are in. Like, yeah. they're still fighting yeah. for that recognition. And, sh- and, yeah. and like, you know, like, it wasn't so common for, like... I, like, I mean, I I always say, like, I shrugged the show off when my mom watched it. She would always be like, you would really like it. I'd be like, no, I wouldn't, mom. Yeah, because we talk about our origin stories all the time. We both were introduced introduced to it by our mom. But, okay. I, but speaking of think piece industry, I do feel like the PTSD angle would be, like, a million think pieces yeah. about this episode mm-hmm. and, like, what she's going through and how she acts. Because one of the things that's really interesting about this episode is how adversarial she is with Willow and Xander. And, um... They, and uh, one thing we did gloss over that we need to talk about is the really cute scene of Willow and Xander in the beginning. <laughs> I I forgot that they almost kissed at the beginning of this season. Um, yeah, I don't know. I it's... mean, they're cute, but again, like it's it's weird thinking of it this way because we have all this knowledge. Of, yeah, you know, like not really just her sexuality, but really more that. Xander's a piece of shit. It's it's more like, oh, I can't really get into that because Xander sucks. Um, Yeah. But, um, but he's, I mean, this is, season two Xander is like peak heartthrob Xander. That's true. Oh, yeah. Peak 90s heartthrob Xander. Um, and you, you want, because we love Willow, also I think we love Willow more retroactively. Yes. Because as we've talked about many times, she had nothing to do in season one and she was not yet the queen of everything, and so maybe I don't know if people were really even clamoring for Willow to get with him, or or I what mean, that was like at the time. I think people liked it for like the never been kissed angle because she was like this, she was pining for him, but she was like this computer bookie girl, right. and she was demure, and Cordelia was you know chat on her, and people were just kind of rooting her just because. You had Buffy and Cre- like she was the only girl who was like sort of the underdog girl. I mean, I guess Buffy is, but I mean, she's more like classically pop. She was popular at her old school and like came yeah, here. like she is like the nerd girl, which we're all kind of like trained through movies and TV to like immediately gravitate towards. Yeah. So, or at least we are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe there are some people who are trained to identify through Cordelia. <laughs> I mean, that's very true. I, I mean, there's pl- there's there's lots of Cordelia love. There's plenty to love. So let's let's. So yeah. um, also, so I wanted to point out that this credits has like a slightly different opening than any of the other episodes, which I never noticed until I watched it for this podcast. Why would? Um, so like you know how they have like I think in season one there might not be one, but like later seasons it's like a vampire getting dusted where they have like a noise. Yes. And oh, they also, some, uh, in some episodes in season one, 
and not in others when they're looking at the cauldron of yeah, it bubbles. Much, it bubbles. Yeah, um, and in the later episodes in season two, they do the like thing from the witch where it's like the scream. The scream. They get rid of it in school hard. They start it in school hard. They get rid of the scream in school hard. No, it's in school hard. It's it not is. in this one. Oh, it's not in. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm gonna disagree. So this one, it's Hollywood Squares. I'm gonna disagree. <laughs> Listen, we, we should go back and watch it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> This one, it's like Buffy firing a crossbow and it makes a really silly whoosh noise yeah. is like the noise, which is weird. And it's only in this episode. Really? I never noticed noises like the, because the, the, the guitar is so, <laughs> the guitar is so loud. Are that, you going to talk, <laughs> are you going to talk smack on the Buffy theme song? No, I love it. But, <laughs> I, but I mean, like, it's kind of one of those things where it's hard to notice any other noise because like it's you're just rocking out too hard <laughs> the theme song oh so you're headbanging too I'm hard I'm headbanging too hard yeah well I can't do it anymore because I have to watch me I have a pinched um, nerve in my neck I can't do this this, this episode <laughs> we are 78 um <laughs> this episode also well your like, best 98 is your combined ages <laughs> that's what the 98 comes from <laughs> God. rude this is very weird. Um, <laughs> no, that's that 49 and not in the 70s. Where that's still older than we actually are. <laughs> Whatever. That's total dad age. Right. It's, it's almost... We're going to our, our, go get our art cards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this episode, Buffy's dad has the most lines he has in like any episode. Right. And, and they show Buffy's dad and interacting with, with Joyce. It's like almost it's just, weird. I forgot that that happened in this episode. I thought she just comes back and you don't see the dad. I mean, is this the last time we ever physically see the dad yes no like he no he's, he doesn't show up in the birthday episode he's in like it's, one episode a season for the first like five seasons no he's not it's like he's in because there's nightmares where he cancels on her right and then this episode yeah go ahead look i am and, he's in, <laughs> and it's the computer age nerds are in. i know he's in a scene red Oh, well, no, he's not in not seeing oh, red. Not seeing red. Uh, he's normal in, again. Oh, normal, normal again. again. Okay, so you're right. I'll give you that. Well, um, I actually don't count normal again as canon, so I'm standing <laughs> by. Um, oh my gosh, you are being controversial. <laughs> I, I think it's a, like, right? I think it's an episode we can oh, he's without. In, well, he's men- he, it says only mention. He's mentioned a bunch and he's not seen again until normal again. It says only in hallucinations. <laughs> So yeah, no, this is his last appearance. So I guess, like, normal again is, like, a delusion. Like, not. Anyway. um, Anyway, bad dad. So, yeah, bad dad. Really weird to see him, like, actually, like, this is the best he gets. He doesn't even show up for Joyce's funeral? No, she, I think she mentions that, like, Like, dad didn't even contact me. Yeah, like, I think like he's in France or something. Yeah, we're so, he's in France, or maybe we're supposed to buy that like he is moved on or something. And he's like that <laughs> terrible that he doesn't care. Yeah, I always thought they should have at least like because they were actually still like Buffy wasn't a full adult yet. Like, the, yeah, I, mean, I really thought they were gonna so bring in child protective services. Yeah, what they right. do in yeah, like, right in that episode um, when she's invisible. But so also this episode does the thing that I always liked that the show did, but they didn't do enough of. Is like the really good like dreams, because um, I really right. like Giles attacking her and choking her, and then like that is a really good dream sequence. Yes, yes. and also it's it's a yeah no it's a really good sequence, and I feel like it almost sets up for Restless like because right, you just see they, Xander like, and Will yeah yeah and like Xander and Will are just like sitting there watching it Restless because in Restless oh, when oh, right, right, right. Willow's attacked 
everyone in the class is just like sitting there watching her. Right. And like Anya's laughing. I think Anya and Harmony are like laughing at her. Because like it's really hard to do a dream sequence well. Yeah. Um, and not just sort of like straight on. And that's like, you know, that does kind of like show that like, oh, they're going to do that really well. Because you have stuff like, um, I don't know, like how they do dreams in, in Sopranos and in, um, you know, David Lynch stuff, you know, where it's actually like this weird, uncanny feeling and they want to give you that um, kind of dread. Um, but yeah, they do do that really well in this one. Yeah. Um, this episode also has the iconic, did you guys hear that Chibomato is going to be at the bronze? Chibomato! Um, I, so I've been talking with Ian, I love Chibomato. Yeah. <laughs> and they're also on the soundtrack of my favorite video game ever, Jet Grind Radio, from Dream, from Sega Dreamcast, okay. which came out in like 2000 or 2000, probably 2000. Um, they're also on that soundtrack, so I, yeah. and I like, when I was older and was like on Napster and stuff like that, like I like used to like look for Chibomato stuff. Chibomato. Mm. It's a beautiful song. Ugh. So I guess we're gonna go to the bronze, right? Well, All right. also, well, also right so wait. That? So be- right before they get to the bronze, um, Cordelia comes up to them in the hallway and is like, "Did you guys fight any demons this summer?" Like, kind of <laughs> Are like any personal demons. Yeah, and she like, it's one of the first moments where she's like literally trying to be like part of part the, of the game, gang, yeah. just being like. Well, she's kind of like her whole thing in season two is kind of like, eh, "Stay away from me," but but like, like oh, I don't want to be involved. We're friends, yeah. And then towards and then in season one, she really does get involved. So it's interesting to see her kind of like excited to fight demons. Yeah, yeah. like it's like kind of cute, and then it's like weird because Buffy's like immediately a dick to her, <laughs> and just like calls her stupid. Um, I mean, that's the whole, like, Liz Lemon was actually mean in high school thing. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like, oh, no. Like, they kind of, like, <laughs> like, like, oh, shit, Buffy's really out of line. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so then they get to the bronze. Willow tries to, like, put the little cream on her nose, and it's actually a little bit, like, well, sad. I think it's time for a scene. Okay, they great. Because they get to the bronze, right? Yeah. So, it's only, like, five lines, but, um... We love our line reading segments now, so we are going to do more of them. So this is Buffy walking into the bronze. Okay. And I am going to play Buffy, um, and our guest, Adam Sass, is going to play... I'm going to be playing Angel. Angel. So, um, and I'm I'm spitting image. Okay. So... So can you read the the stage directions? Great. Buffy walks into the bronze. Angel sees her come in and goes over to her. Hi. Hi. So is there danger at the bronze? Should I beware? I can't help thinking I've done something to make you angry. And that bothers me more than I'd like. I'm not angry. I don't know where that comes from. What are you afraid of? Me? Us? Could you contemplate getting over yourself for a second? There is no us. Look, Angel, I'm sorry if I was supposed to spend my whole summer mooning over you, but I didn't. I moved on to the living. She heads over to Willow and Xander's table. Cordelia watches her go by and wonders about her attitude. Yes. <laughs> and then Chibomato starts. Yeah. Oh my God. In a, in Does a different... Angel watch her dance? Yes. Xander watches her dance. Look at his face. Yeah. <laughs> in a different world, I would sing this entire song on the podcast. <laughs> But unfortunately, wow. or Should fortunately, wow. <laughs> I was the, excuse me, I was the captain of my high school's doo-wop choir. I'll have you know. 
I mean, honestly, like, this would get so many retweets. <laughs> like, Matthew Rodriguez, Megan, sing Sugar Water, and, like, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, so Buffy has her sexy dance with Xander to Sugar Water, which is pretty But, iconic. like, it's really, like, it's, I'm not going to say it's really sexy because she's, like, supposed to be 16, but, like, it's very sensual. It's sensual. Like, it's the most sensual thing the show has done up until this <laughs> Yeah, point. I mean... And one of the more sensual as opposed to sexual things that happen yes. later. It's one of the more sensual things the show ever does. Just she's not, like, grinding on him. She's but just, she like, is. She has her butt on but, his... But, like, slow, like... Right. That makes it more no, sensual than, like, sex. intimate. Yeah. It's intimate. Very intimate. And it gives us... This whole episode has given us several uh, iconic images that would last in the credit sequences very long time. Yeah. So <laughs> the her dancing with those little snaps in the air, like that would show up in so many I think opening it's like credits. in season four. Yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. there through most of it. And like when they're all hanging upside down and they're being like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's from this episode too. But yeah, no, it's a very, I mean, like it's a very, I can picture it immediately and I haven't seen this episode in forever or so. Yeah, no, and I think also one of the interesting things and not to like continue to like armchair diagnose her with PTSD and stuff like that but it's also like histrionic in a way it's like where you have that Hmm. trauma and you act out like she is flirting with her friend who she usually wouldn't engage with and she's doing it to make Angel jealous her friend who she's made it clear that she doesn't have feelings so she is doing this like acting out that's really interesting I mean we've never seen we've seen Buffy make it very clear to Xander that she's not interested and she, and she was, like, pretty mature about it, too. Like. Right. And, and you know, she has a history with Angel, but at this point, she's, like, using Xander as her friend, as a pawn against Angel. So she's really, like, hurting two people at once, and it's it's interesting. It's, she's hurting them, but it's very much like she's trying, it, it's, it's the classic kind of cry for help, where she's really like, I'm in emotional trouble, and I can't really figure out what's up. And here are two people that I care really about. Um, I don't really know how to do that. And I need to ask them for help, but I don't know how. So I'm really just going to like screw with both of them. I don't know. It, like, I mean, it really doesn't make sense. But then again, like PTSD doesn't really make sense. And like, also, no doesn't she even say, wait, doesn't in Prophecy Girl, Willow even tells Buffy she's a crush on Xander. So she's hurting three people. Yes. Yeah. She's also like, oh, absolutely. Oh, she, and yeah. she's playing on the fact that she thinks that she knows that Xander wants her as opposed to Willow. She's basically, so she's, oh. she's hurting Willow. She's basically sure. being like gay Twitter meme. I don't want any drama. <laughs> and then like causing all this drama. Like. Right. Of course. <laughs> Which is why we all respond so well to it. Yeah. Um, so then um, we get the scene. So Buffy leaves the bronze and we get a scene that we will also now do a reading from. And Adam will do the I will do the stage direction. Um, Cut outside. Buffy exits the bronze and walks down the alley at a quick pace. Cordelia follows her out. Buffy, you're really campaigning for Bitch of the Year, aren't you? As defending champion, are you nervous? I can hold my own. You know, we've never really been close, which is nice, because I don't really like you that much, but you have, on occasion, saved the world and stuff, so I'm gonna do you a favor. And this great favor is... I'm going to give you some advice. Get over it. Excuse me? Whatever is causing the Joan Collins tood, deal with it. Embrace the pain, spank your inner moppet, whatever. But get over it. Because pretty soon, you're not even going to have the loser friends you've got now. I think it's about time you start minding your own business. It's long past. Nighty-night. I'll just see if Angel feels like dancing. 
So I think that scene is fucking fantastic. It's really good Cordelia. Like, it's such good Cordelia. And, like, I mean, it's one of the first times when we get a deeper Cordelia, Mm -hmm. I think. Because, like, in season one, you know, we talked about how they didn't know what to do with her. But by the end, it was like, oh, she helps them in Prophecy Girl. And this is like, look, Cordelia gets that, like, you're going through some shit, but, like, you're also pushing away. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, like, the Cordelia part of this... I mean, she adds, like, such a great new flavor to the surroundings. Yes. Because without her, especially as you see it in this scene, um, Cordelia really underlines the part of Buffy that sometimes people forget, which is that she kind of used to be a, quote, mean girl. Yeah, Like, she, like, this is, that there is that tension between her being this selfless, practical slayer, and then you know, kind of how she grew up a little bit, which is kind of a Cordelia-like person. And they kind of, they further that into season three with Homecoming and whatnot. And I would even... brings that out. From you saying that, like, also, it underlines the fact that Cordelia is the only one of, like, that group that's not intimidated by Buffy. Oh, for sure. Who doesn't, like... She's not walking on eggshells for her. She's not like, oh, what's wrong? She's just like, there's something wrong, get over it. Mm -hmm. And, like... That's also what I love. Like, I feel like why gays tend to love Cordelia. Yeah. I mean, because also, because anytime another character calls Buffy out on her shit, it's whether it's Giles or Willow or Xander or her mom. Every time that happens, you're always like on Buffy's side. You're like, why is everyone being so mean? (laughs) Shut up. And then when Cordelia does it, like, it's a little like, oh my God, she has gone too far. She needs to cut it out a little bit. Because, like... Imagine if Cordelia had been there at the... When they threw Buffy out of the house. At the end of the <laughs> She would have been, like... Well, because she would have probably done the spike roll, which is... Yeah. You all completely... Like, <laughs> like are you kidding me? Like, well, because she does. I mean, because she sticks up for her in Dead Man's Party. Yeah. She's, like, the only person who's, like... The only one like, who tries to tell Xander to stop yelling at her. Oh, yeah. And, like... Which kind of is, like... Is Cordelia the moral center of the show? <laughs> oh almost, my gosh. That's the theory. Is that a hot take? I also yeah. feel like she's just the outside voice. Like, we watching it, we are like, I mean, Buffy, Buffy is my best friend, but we are not actually Buffy's friends. So we can get mad at or like mm-hmm. realize, oh, like, she has PTSD, but also like, even with the PTSD, doing the sexy dance with Xander is like not okay. You also want, you do want her to snap out of it. Yes. Because you know, because by this point you know Buffy and you kind of like her as your own, you know, and you, like you, as we like characters like yes. we like friends, we like, I want the old Buffy back. Well, I, think, I think the other thing too is like, right, there's no, really this, the, the, the first three seasons like you were talking about are so much about high school politics mm-hmm. and it's interesting that Cordelia is the one who has as the popular girl who knows how to, like, remain popular, and that's, she's keeping up with the Joneses, she actually understands the politics of high school the most. Yes. <laughs> and she's saying to Buffy, like, why are you acting like this? Like, your actions are going to have consequences. Yeah. And, like, this is what's going to happen to your group of friends. And, like, your, your popularity is already, like, precarious at best. Like, why are you doing this? So it's interesting that Cordelia is the one who steps in, because she is actually, like, the, she's, the un- she's understanding a lot Yes. At a much more macro level, like, Mm -hmm. Xander, in the next scene that we're going to go to, like, Xander and Willow go to Giles, and they're thinking micro, just about, like, their own friendships and stuff, but Cordelia is actually the only one who sees the whole picture, 
and is like trying to get Buffy to see that she's acting differently. I mean, and her intervention really like, I mean, if this intervention like did end up keeping people together, it's the only way Buffy would have survived season two, let alone the rest of the series. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's just, it's, she gets like, she cares enough to bother but even she's, like, when Buffy's, like, mind your business, she's like, it's long past time for me, mind my business. Like, to her, it's like, I'm already putting too much effort into this. I'm just doing you a favor because you have saved the world. Like, right. That's the thing. <laughs> like, if, if Cordelia truly didn't care about Buffy at all, she would just watch all this shit yeah. unfold and, like, fall on her. Yeah. Right. And, like, try to hook up with Angel. <laughs> well, she would have if she were she... not abducted, which I was just <laughs> saying to Ian, I feel like the moment when she's abducted... <laughs> Happens so quickly, like, Buffy walks away, and within, like, 0.5 milliseconds, like, she's grabbed. I'm like, wouldn't Buffy, like, hear or, like, turn around well, to look at her? thing. It's, it's very, so, like, TV so, economic yeah. storytelling where it's like, right. oh my god, we have no time to snap Yeah, so right just, away. like, get them all. Like, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> um, we don't even see Miss Calendar get captured. <laughs> right. So then oh, we, go, yeah. we go to the scene where they're in the library talking about how Buffy has changed, and Xander can't spell the word bitch. He's a bit guy. <laughs> and all this stuff. But then... The one thing that's really... This is where I think Buffy has her peak. Even though she her she's really mean in the dancing scene, I think Buffy actually has one of her meanest or just, like, lines in this scene where, um... Like... She, they're, they're piecing together that they might be trying to bring the master back. Right. This yeah. Point. And Giles is like, I've never heard of a revivification, like, of a vampire being successful. And Buffy's like but you've heard of it? Like, why didn't you tell me? And it was like, but you've also killed dozens of vampires and Giles has never, like, just been like, oh, by the way, one of them might come back. Yeah. Right. Like, it's just so, like, she's, I mean, she at this point, when she's lashing out at Giles, it's just, like, so, it's too much. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's very, like, I mean, you do get glimpses of that, and I think this is important to, like, really understand the impact of the show is that she is a teenage girl. Yeah. Like, she is someone who's, like, very young, is learning a lot, um, and, you know, is, is so much more mature than, like, the rest of her friends, but she is still, like, grappling with that, and I like that about that, and you don't really get that ever again in Joss's work, which I think is, he should work on, but, um, because you do, because every other thing, like, it's, whether it's Angel or Dollhouse or the Avengers, like, everything is, I'm this super pro, and I'm a pro dealing with my pro things, and the pro wins at the end of the thing. Or Firefly or whatever. Like, it's all just people who are very seasoned. And you and in Buffy, it's like one of the only things that he does where this is like, no, these are like children in over their heads and they succeed. Like, right. there is like that Harry Potter element. And people really respond to that because, yeah. like, it allows them... I mean, the, the rest of this work, like, I can't... It's harder for me to, like, plug myself into these circumstances. But with Buffy, it's so easy because... Well, that's the thing is, like, we, we as people, especially those of us who watched Buffy when we were younger, as opposed to, like, maybe coming to it on Netflix now when we're adults, like, we mm-hmm. saw strength in Buffy because she was finding out her way and becoming stronger. And we felt like maybe we were misunderstood or, like, <laughs> we were growing up and getting stronger in our, like moral fiber than as opposed to maybe like getting physically stronger but like we were becoming who we were and Buffy was too yeah as opposed to something like the Avengers which is more like fantastical where you're like oh I can never be that strong but like I wish I could say I mean right now all superhero movies are stuck in this 
milieu where it's all just like I wish I could have like stopped the terrorists on 9-11 and like that's what all superhero movies are about right now basically so it's like all fantasy like role play like I want to be as strong as this guy right now but except the new, except the Spider-Man I really think we're gonna get that with both barrels like we're really gonna get the oh yeah. I'm this high school kid and I gotta deal with this thing yeah and I'm dealing with this out of control I'm yeah. excited for I know that's why I, I feel really like you and I keep saying <laughs> like that's why I'm excited because it looks like really good YA like, I mean it I, I think there's a it power has the potential the, one of the biggest powers of YA is to, um, is to really plug you into these circumstances where, I mean, I was an adult reading Harry Potter, but like you mentioned Order of the Phoenix before, Order of the Phoenix is a fabulous book because it really taps into, I'm this angry kid, but also no one is listening to me. Yeah. Like, I know what's going on, no one is listening to me, no one's taking me seriously, and everybody's acting very unfairly. Well, I think one of the interesting parallels about Order of the Phoenix and Harry Potter and Buffy in general is that not only is it, I'm this kid... And I'm angry or whatever. It's actually also about like the the I don't know if the word is irony or the contradiction of having gr- like a huge amount of responsibility like Harry Potter or Buffy has, but then still being underestimated or still being like um yeah. like not listened to when it's like dude I'm the Slayer like dude I'm Harry Potter like will you just like listen to me like that's, I know what's going on literally both of the chosen but ones the, but, so still, <laughs> but they're still not listened to and like that's the the great frustration is like at the end of the day more so with Buffy because she's a woman yeah mm-hmm. is that like you will always underestimate me but like literally I have been chosen out of every girl in the world to like right. be yeah. the one who's gonna kick your ass <laughs> and like and she's produced results yeah every time like every that's, time I mean, <laughs> and that's and that's why it's so infuriating but like it's very it's infuriating, but it's not as a viewer infuriating on a quality level. You're like you're not like nobody would uh, people would listen to her. Like you you get that emotional reaction of I've done this before, where people have, people have gone through this many times where they're like, listen, I'm whether it's like I'm good at my job or I know what I'm talking about or this and yeah, that, and right. still like I have to explain myself again. I mean, it's yeah. extremely hashtag relatable. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, um, you know, and I, I actually, you're also pushing me. Sorry, a lot, baby. <laughs> um, I also like, I don't know. I think the plot is pretty good. Like, I like the idea that it's like a plot to bring back the master, which also like plays into like shit. She's still upset about the master, and now they're trying to bring him back. Yeah, which of course is going to make her go crazy. Um, I don't know. I like that aspect of the plot too because it yeah. also kind of like ties up. Loose ends from season one. Yeah. I mean, it also allows for them to kind of, like, circumvent your expectations. Because at this point, I mean, you've seen enough shows. Like, you're like, oh my god, the Master could come back. And it's going to be, yeah. like, Revenge of the Master. And he'll be, like, the main villain again. But he'll be, like, more strong or some crap. And they just go, nope, we're done with him completely. Yeah. Smash. The Master coming back is the plot of the first Buffy video game for Xbox. Are you kidding? It's a great, oh my god, but it's an amazing video game. The plot is basically that, like... They, the master's bones are like still around. I don't know. So no, it's actually that Spike and Drusilla try to bring the master back, and they huh. do it by like they the master they try to bring back his spirit or his essence, and they they have to find a body to put it in. So they um, oh. they get the master to inhabit Aunt Angelus, and then so you have to fight Angel with the master inside him for a little bit. And then you, like, and then um, something happens where they have to... So, basically, in order to defeat the Master's spirit, Willow and, like, Giles do magic to make the Master corporeal so Buffy can fight him. Yeah. Hmm. For the podcast audience, my mouth is hanging open. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? 
talking about? Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's very off-brand for Spike and Drew to want the master bag. Yeah. They, well, they like, do it because they want to kill the Slayer. Oh, so, okay. so they, they're yeah, like, like here's the person who killed, killed who killed the Slayer. Oh, okay. I think Let's bring him sense. back. So, okay. so uh, Spike and Drew work together to bring the master back. Um, um, I think that one of the... So we were talking before about how this episode does a great job in setting up for the viewers, like... It's also going to be, a, you know, a new and improved show. Mm-hmm. Um, with the scene where she actually goes to save all... Oh, actually, wait, let me... Okay, so when she when she goes to kill all the vampires, she actually kills, like, five vampires at once, which is the first time that Buffy's, like, been able to do yeah, that. right. Because in the past, in, in Justin Prophecy Girl, she complained about, like, killing three vampires in one night, and here she goes, she, like, kills everyone in yeah. that, um... Like little, two seconds. In that yeah. little right. cult in a few moments, and she does it really well. I want to talk about the scene where she kind of... There's that great scene where she goes to the bronze, right? And there's the, oh, yeah. the, the, the vampire who's there to, like, trick her to get so that they can take um, Giles and Willow. And then she goes back, and she has that stupid-ass confrontation with Xander. And I need yeah. to talk about the confrontation with Xander, because it always gets me so mad. Because he's, like, acting so... He's acting so Xander. Yeah. Right. Like, he's like, if they hurt Willow, I'll kill you. It's like, bitch, no, you won't. Like, you yeah. won't lay a finger it, on like, her. Okay. And, like... First of all, you have no time for Willow when Buffy's yeah, around. Absolutely. So how are you going to be the person who's like defending Willow to the death now? Meanwhile, the moment Buffy showed up, you didn't give a fuck about Willow. Yeah. It's just like, it's a perfect scene that exemplifies Xander's impotent rage. Like, yes. it's just so much of just this, like, he knows he's useless. He knows <laughs> like, or the, or the most useless one. Um, like, he <laughs> knows that like, he wants to, he wants to say all this, and it's just all talk. So. Yeah, and I'm just, it gets me so mad because also it's like, your also, friend can... has PTSD and like, you were just talking with a friend about how, and Giles said she has issues, like, you know that your friend died and is going through all this stuff and like, it's not like Buffy in any way wants anyone to be harmed, like, it is literally her job to make sure that right. doesn't happen and now you're going to be mad because they took Willow, like, you couldn't even, what what did you do to stop it? Like, I, nothing. I mean, like, she had, he has, like in a weird way, the same point as Cordelia does, but Cordelia has just so much more emotional intelligence to articulate it to yeah, her. Yeah, she's better at saying it. <laughs> like, instead, Xander's just like... Well, it's the micro-versus-macro thing, right? Yeah, like, yeah, Cordelia's yeah. really looking at the big picture, and Xander's only what articulate is like, if something happens to Willow, I'm gonna kill you. And it's like, you also know that, like, Willow was killed by vampires and not Buffy. It's not like Buffy staked Willow and, like, yeah, killed right. her. Like, she's... It's her job to kill vampires, yes, but, like, this whole show is about how a young 16-year-old girl, like, balances being a 16-year-old girl and balances power. And in this episode, it's actually one of, it's the second time right after Prophecy Girl where we see, like, what happens when Buffy may not be able to do that. Or, like, because, you know, Buffy says she resigns in Prophecy Girl and tries to go away from the master. And then in this one, she's really too busy dealing with trauma yeah. to like step up and no one is giving her the space to do it they're all like criticizing none. her none i mean and this again this would like be a pattern like that she would have to deal with saving the world deal with saving her friends even smaller and then also and deal with school and her mom and whatever dealing with some other 16 year old boy telling her her business <laughs> um like it's right. like you have to like just deal with all of it and it's and it's such a great episode that touches on like 
exactly how burdened she is. I mean, also all girls during all those seasons, all those scenes, she like ignores Xander. She doesn't even respond to his like, "Oh, well, you did this. This is all your fault, Buffy." Like, she doesn't even engage with that. She's just like, "What are we gonna do? Do we know where they went?" And he's like, blah, 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 I'll kill you. And then she's like, where did they take them? Who took them? Like, right. Like, while you're here trying to, like, like yeah. excoriate me, I'm actually trying to solve the problem. Yeah. Absolutely. You baby. And uh, frankly, I don't even think it's about Willow. I think he's just butthurt over the sex yes. dance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Absolutely. He's so yeah. He's like, mm-hmm. he, he yeah. was like, you gave me blue balls. <laughs> hey. so I'm going to yell at you. Right. Um, also, <laughs> so, you know, I might not be in love with Sarah after she scorned me at a signing, but... <laughs> I have to say, her smashing those bones, like, gets me. Like, oh my gosh, because she's, like, crying with yes. the... And has this giant sledgehammer smashing Yeah, also bones. the sledgehammer's iconic. Yeah, like... Because the sledgehammer yeah. is a, a weapon in the video game. <laughs> it's also... We have to play this video game one of the One of the figures came with that sledgehammer, like, that specific one. Oh so cool. Um, and, like, I think that scene is so good. Like, I don't know, like, for me, like, all, like, Joss really lucked out with all the, like, actors he got were all so good. Basically. Because, like, I'm like, oh, Samuel Gallery is making me feel sad for a vampire slayer who's crushing bones with a sledgehammer, which is such an absurd sentence to say, but, yeah. like, the show makes it work 100%. It does. Um, and then, like, I also really, who we haven't even talked about yet, really, like, at the <laughs> end of this episode, so they play, like, that cheesy music, they're all happy, her PTSD is over, um, and then they show the anointed one coming in to look at the, sh- like, smashed bones, and he's like, ah, oh, I really hate that girl, <laughs> which I thought was a funny scene, and also... It's a great balance point. Yeah, actually, so cards on the table, I have, uh, met the anointed one in real <laughs> life, um, and not just met, I've worked with him for several months at a Starbucks, so he's a very sweet guy, uh, I think his name is Andrew Furchlin. But I did. I was working with him for months before I recognized him as the Anointed One because he has those Anointed One eyes. I don't even but know that like, I would recognize him, like it, as a crazy Buffy fan. I am. I mean, he's a crazy Buffy fan, but he's like very much relegated to the beginning of the show, and they yeah. never did you ever. Him again. Did you ever bring it up to him? Like I know never. Who you I was are. terrified. Because, <laughs> well, because we worked at because so we worked at this little Starbucks, and as I mentioned before, it was this little it was in anaheim hills and it was this drive-through starbucks right off of a freeway and it was in the middle of just like this very stephen king desperation like (laughs) deserty sort of like area i mean it was like i mean it was like one of those like little little gas station kind of it just felt like this like abandoned gas station you go to the zombie (laughs) movie but except it was a drive-through starbucks (laughs) um and you know so we worked there you know and i think um and he, he had a baby girl at the time, so he's a, little, he's a dad. So I was very much just like, I'm a... Like, I just aged in front of him. But no, I never brought it up because um, I was too chicken. I don't know. I just didn't... I didn't know how to bring it up. And, you know, very nice. It, was, it wasn't like I would be nervous to, like, get told off or whatever right. like that. But I think it was just one of those things where I enjoyed having this little secret about him. Well, and Adam, you also had, when you lived in L.A., uh, Charisma Carpenter was like a regular at your work, She's right? fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I worked at Body Factory, which is a little West Hollywood gay smoothie shop. And I call it gay because um, it was right across from the gay gym. So, you I mean, you get and pretty it was much like every... two blocks away from all the gay bars. It's, it's, it's right there in the heart of everything. And it was sort of this little, like, kind of like, you're not quite ready for the gay bar yet. And you're you know, it's too early in the day. So you do your jam and then you go in there. But it still has like the thumpy music. And you still got to see everybody. 
Um, so yeah, no, but like, it was like a lot of, you saw a lot of people there. There were, yeah, Charisma Carpenter was a regular, so she had an account. I just imagine her being great. (laughs) She was fantastic, and she was such a, like, Aunt Charisma, because she would come in and we'd be playing this kind of, like, Funko music, and she'd come in and, like, be dancing to it, and I'm like, oh, you're embarrassing! (laughs) Um, but no, she was, she was, again, like, um, just, like, couldn't have been nicer, couldn't have been more chill, um, and, uh, yeah. I wish more Buffy people came into that show. But, you know, <laughs> okay. A lot of familiar faces. Though. So, wrapping up, how does everyone grade? How does everyone grade this episode? Well, I mean, this is an A for me. Yeah, I would give. I, I would say B plus. That not even hmm. A minus. Your root is B plus. Well, because I give it a B plus because I think it still has where it fails is where season one fails, which is you know just like. <clears throat> budgeting whatever like clearly the budget's better in this but like budgeting and pacing it's a little bit slow i suppose because i mean it's really (laughs) a b plus is still a good grade i think you're definitely falling prey to that like bias of you know how great it gets yes um like like it like how it just keeps it it's basically like when you read sorcerer's stone you're just like yeah. Oh, when you say Harry Potter, you think of all the emotional, grand, like, yeah. Goblet of Fire moments and Order of the Phoenix moments in the end and Dumbledore. Like, you just, but, like, you forget, like, oh, Sorcerer's Stone is actually a really, su- like, super solid, cute, speedy, yeah. sets up everybody, and, like, the characters and the relationships are all there. Um, I'm going to keep snapping. It doesn't <laughs> me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. I'm going to punctuate it. Um, but, no, I would, I would give it a name. Okay. That's fair. Okay. Um, thanks for listening. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, I'm at Ian X Carlos. I'm at Matthew Rodriguez with one T and a G and a Z. Amazing. And I am at the Adam Sass. And thanks for listening. We'll see you back next week. Bye. Bye.